Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, air travel may be recovering faster than anyone dared hope, but will the clouds on the horizon bring this to an abrupt end? And have reports of the A380's death been greatly exaggerated? My name's Graham Dunn and joining me is Airline Business Editor Lewis Harper. Hi Graham, how are you? Good, and um, we were out at the uh, uh, IATA annual general meeting in uh, Doha last week. Have you recovered from that excitement? Um, just about, Graham. Yeah, it's um, great to be back at that event. We we unfortunately didn't make it to Boston last year, so um, it's kind of the first time. And for me, um, even longer than um, just the pandemic years, I, I kind of couldn't go to the one or two before that as well. So yeah, brilliant to be back. Uh, a really strong turnout in, in Doha and lots of familiar faces and you know, a degree of optimism as you touched on um at the same time you know there there are some approaching headwinds and some that have already arrived that um that are of concern to the industry yes it was a slightly complicated and contradictory message i guess that you had there where, where you have things are both better than anyone hoped and the summer recovery whilst bringing its own challenges uh which are very evident in, in some of the operational challenges from a financial performance you know demand is really really strong and you know, IATA struck a very sort of positive tone, I think, in terms of their message. They have their, um, they give a, a financial outlook for the year and they um, projected slightly lower losses than they had been. Cut that back by around 2 million um, to just under 10, uh, 2 million, 2 billion, to just under 10 billion. So, you know, that's a sort of positive side to it. And they, you know, and, and they were talking about theoretically a return to profitability is back in reach. But then at the same time, you know, anyone you spoke to did flag this, the difficult headwinds that, that are out there, aren't there? Yeah, it had that feeling. And it, it, we've touched on before, really, some of these kind of headwinds that sort of every day the news appears to get slightly, slightly worse in that regard. It's tough for the industry because quite clearly um, and reasonably, Willie Walsh will point out, well, you know, we've just been through an absolutely huge, unimaginable crisis. So, um, you know, it's almost the case that anything else feels easier to handle. But yeah, there's no denying that, you know, whether we've been through the last two years or not, some of the um, the headwinds we're looking towards now are significant. And as you say, you know, speaking to, to, to CEOs around the event, um, you know, it was really not a question of, of whether they thought these challenges were significant. It's just to what degree, really. And obviously no one has a, a crystal ball. But I think that the thing that stuck out for me was Tim Clark from Emirates saying, a hugely experienced veteran of the industry and saying, you know, when he when he looks at all these factors, these outside factors, whether it be, you know, inflation, fuel costs, the threat of recession, the situation in Ukraine, you know, he kind of rates them nine out of 10 on the scale of, you know, seriousness versus what he's seen before. Having said that, you know, he's talking about the threat level. So um, as I just said, there's no um, no guarantee of how, how, how hard these things will hit. But there was definitely a sense that clearly IATA wanted to push the message, as you were talking about, that financially things are looking pretty good. You know, demand is so strong that that's actually causing you know another set of issues we might we've discussed a lot on the pod um since our return but the, the whole time there's kind of this these approaching clouds that you know are, are significant and Walsh will be keen to push the idea that none of them are that new so you know we, the industry is is well versed in dealing with high fuel prices difficult economic situations and still growing the vast majority of the time but it's it's really that kind of almost perfect storm sense in some of the, the analysis we've been seeing. 
what's interesting, I think, in, the, in that perfect storm is that all those ingredients are there and they are theoretically there <laughs> right now. I mean, inflation mm. is with us, surging oil costs are with us, we have political, geopolitical issues, all these things that could and should be stifling demand are with us. And yet everybody, I mean, I was really struck by, by it didn't really matter what, which airlines I spoke to, which parts of the world they were from, all of them had the same message. It, it was almost passengers are desperate to travel because they've not been able to do it for so long and had mm. such a buffer in terms of their savings and the ability to do that. They're will, willing to almost pay any amount to travel this summer so, you know, a lot of those normal relationships of, or economic relationships, which would suggest if the GDP goes down or um, if you have high inflation or if, if there are these big economic concerns would impact travel demand, they aren't doing that yet. Mm. And so, you know, there is, there's no automatic assumption that, that it will stop, that that demand will stop. But clearly those headwinds are a concern. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right, and that um, pent up demand is is holding up. And I, as you say, that was n- nearly a universal you know observation among the, the CEOs there. What you know, some of the concern is when we get past this summer, um, and when we're looking into winter, and particularly if some of the headwinds you know worsen. So we um, particularly looking at and the general global economic situation, whether that means you know the northern hemisphere winter is going to be you know much more challenging than anyone would have expected you know only a few months ago. And yeah, as things stand, as you say, the um, the uh, the overriding message is things are holding up at the moment. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of a wait and see on the um, later in the year. I mean, clearly. You know, as much as some, um, you know, some people will say that the industry is kind of defying economic norms in some senses at the moment. Um, it seems unlikely that it, you know, people will be rewriting textbooks anytime soon. But I, I, I'm have to be proved wrong on that. But, but I think clearly at some point these things are going to start to hit. And you know, fuel costs alone, when we're talking about airlines trying to get back to profitability in the next year or two, I think fuel costs alone are are going to weigh on that. You know, we we heard from one or two chief executives talking about how, you know, they are kind of downgrading their expectations in that regard already. It was a strange move, really, because it was possible to be going to one room and be hugely positive. And quite rightly, IATA were marking the industry's emergence from the pandemic. And we, you know, given what everyone's been through, that 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 alone is is a hugely positive thing. And, you know, we spoke to Cafe Pacific CEO there, for example, the first time we had travelled, I think, in, in two years there. You know, even the aside from China, even the um, most of the markets that have been slowest to recover are coming back. You know, Korean as well were there. Alan Joyce was there from Qantas. All of these. These big markets that, you know, over the past two years, everyone has been seeing them lag the recovery, maybe in, in most other regions They're 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 back and they're they're bullish about the future. But, yeah, you can walk into another room and, you know, when discussion turns to, to those kind of outside factors, you know, there's a sense of uncertainty that um, fingers crossed, I think, was a phrase heard more than once from more than one person. Um and I think what's what, what's interesting, or what I, I found was interesting, that the people were talking about various potential headwinds out there, and then they would kind of add just at the end, oh, and of course we don't quite know what's going to happen with COVID. So, mm. you know, it's quite, especially um, within something like the UK, where we are, where we've sort of been operating almost without restrictions for the past um, few months, it's difficult to imagine those restrictions and that level of restrictions coming back but of course it was very difficult to imagine that level of restrictions coming at all two three years ago and exactly how the world deals with covid and how that evolves as well remains you know yet another challenge 
Yeah, and you're right, because I mean, at the moment in the UK, we're seeing sub-variants of, of the Omicron uh, variant of, of COVID you know, driving another wave of cases. And like you say, what really hasn't been tested yet is is how are governments going to respond when we get, you know, a full-on new variant? And, you know, are they really going to hold their nerve and say, you know, as much as they're, they're talking, some of them are talking a good game, saying, you yeah, know, that's the end of restrictions in this pandemic. But, you know, when that new variant comes along and if it's... um. Yeah, more lethal, for example, or, or you know, it's probably likely to be more transmissible to, to become dominant. You know, that's, that's going to be a real big test. And, you know, particularly uh, governments in Asia Pacific that have been slower to reopen that. That's really a, be a particular test there, particularly if they're not, you know, an advanced stage of reopening. It, it's kind of probably easier to pull back a bit at that point. And, you know, we know that that the kind of um, snowball effect that can have, you know, when when one market goes and, um that connectivity is lost. And on top of that, of course, we've still got China kind of pursuing, albeit uh, a moderation in its um, quarantine policy recently, that's still pursuing what's essentially a zero COVID approach. And yeah, again, if another variant comes along, you, you can't help but think um, that will only make it longer before that market comes back. So yeah, you're right. As much as um, there was a desire for the narrative to be that we've pushed past COVID. And I think um, it's not unreasonable to say that in, in many ways, the, the industry is able to look forward now with much more confidence than, than even a few months ago. Yeah, that, that's always in the back of everyone's mind, as you say, regardless of these, a long list of other factors that uh, that don't look particularly helpful, um, particularly when they're uh, all happening at the same time. And China, of course, adds this whole level of uncertainty and has a, a kind of knock on to everything because it's such a, such a big market mm. that as long as China remains shut, it clearly has an impact on travel demand. And, you know, it's very difficult for airline operators. But that also influences the wider economy, which also influences, you know, what might happen with oil prices. Yeah, the, none of these, yeah, very few of these things are, are kind of standalone, particularly, as you say, when fuel is the biggest cost for most airlines. And as you say, so many of these um, issues can be can be drawn back to China alone. So, yes, the we've gone past the big lockdowns in, in um, cities like Shanghai, and they were having a huge effect on, on supply chains, which, you know, and in turn, the, the fact there were lockdowns was reducing... Um, demand for fuel and yeah it just a lot of it is interconnected and I think there's a sense from some people as well that a consequence of that could be that if one or two of those issues were solved that that it could have what would probably feel like an outside outsized impact on in a positive way on the industry so for example if there was a resolution to the situation in Ukraine for example the the relief that would bring in so many different areas would then make some of these other headwinds probably feel less of a concern I mean clearly I don't think there's much hope of that happening unfortunately in 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 the near term anyway but yeah uh, the situation where China even relaxed its uh, its COVID policy further I think would have a huge um, knock-on effect I think for for a number of these factors and it's certainly something that I think everyone, even airlines that don't fly there, will, will be keeping a close eye on. And there's a degree to which, you know, a lot of these headwinds for airlines, they are what they are. There's only, you know, there's not so much they can do about it, especially in mm. kind of this period. So um, we were talking to the chief executive of Korean Air and, and he, he was pointing out the closure of the Russian airspace and, and with the Ukraine um, invasion and everything stemming from that. You know, it's adding sort of two hours to it, to its flight times uh, to Europe, mm. which, you know, clearly in a high fuel environment, that's even harder. And what can the airline do about it? Well, you know, either it doesn't fly it at all 
or, mm. or, or it doesn't, and after a period where airlines haven't been able to fly, they want to operate as best they can, and there's clearly that demand to fly. But there's, you know, a lot of these circumstances airlines are stuck with, and they don't really have much option but to hope things get better. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, very few of them are, you know, with some exceptions that are, um, are kind of unique to a particular airline or region or, or you know, a particular business model. These, mm. these are kind of... Um, yeah, there is a sense in some ways that, well, everyone's got to deal with higher fuel prices. So everyone's got to deal with higher inflation. Therefore, you know, that as, as a business, then you've just got to get on with it in, in some senses. From that point of view, there, were, there was also kind of a recognition. And if this industry isn't used to dealing with um, challenging outside factors after the last two years, then then it never will be. I don't think that's any consolation. But, yeah, the businesses are more, kind of leaner than than they've probably ever been in many cases, and um, yeah, not always through choice, but um, hopefully through design in in um, in most instances. So yeah, there's a lot to get through, but as I say, that there, there are circumstances where there might be some relief, and and ultimately things might not be as bad as anyone is expecting. And you know, Tim Clark kind of made that point. He was talking about his long experience in the industry and very often how um, you know, talk of things going wrong doesn't doesn't quite always um end up as bad as people expect of course go back to january 2020 and um there are some examples there where um, <laughs> where the opposite was true but yeah on their own you know, individually aren't mostly aren't new but um together i think that that's probably the the concern what we have seen throughout this crisis is an agility and airlines showing an adaptability to the market. And uh, we're seeing that again with uh, some of the um, ramp up issues that airlines are dealing with. And uh, there have been one or two surprises and surprise solutions airlines have taken. And we'll take a look at that after the break. If you are enjoying this podcast, why not sign up for free to get the weekly airline business briefing delivered direct to your inbox every Thursday. You can register to get our weekly briefing together with any of Flight Global's other newsletters at flightglobal.com forward slash newsletter. So welcome back. It's been an interesting time for airlines. And, you know, when the pandemic first hit, you know, most people predicted, with the possible exception of Tim Clark at Emirates, that the, the days of the Airbus A380 were numbered and it appeared to accelerate draw from its fleet. But we, we have seen one or two signs that airlines who maybe were uh, seeing very little future for that type are, at least in the, in the short term, um, showing some enthusiasm for it again. Yeah, it's a curious one because, you know, the range of factors behind that, I'm not sure at this point we can say that you know, everyone's falling in love with the, the A380 again. But as you say, there's I think the, the example that stands out is Lufthansa and uh, in recent days saying it, it's looking to bring back some of its A380s in summer 23. During the pandemic, kind of reported sometimes that they, they weren't going to bring any of them back and sometimes that they were. I think the official line was that they were in storage and unless there was some exceptional reason for needing the capacity that, that they may remain there. But... I guess we sort of have reached the point now where there might be those exceptional reasons. So we've got, you know, much in some markets anyway, much stronger recovery than than was expected. But beyond that, I think one of the biggest issues is the um, is with new aircraft and airlines and groups' abilities to get those new aircraft in. It's kind of a, a mark of you know how fortunes are shifting for the airline industry. That you know it really does only feel like yesterday that Carsten Spohr was talking about. You know this is going to have a fundamental impact on the size of our fleet looking into the future. And now we're coming to the point where yeah they're actually talking about bringing the A380 back, which you know 
really, I think was unimaginable, um, you know, 18 months ago or whatever. Yeah, and you've seen it's coincided with one or two other airlines who are uh, who are always going to bring it back, but, you know, their plans to bring it back. So Korean Air just announced uh, plans to deploy that on a couple of um, Asian routes in addition to, to New York. You know, they talk positively about it. They talk about what's never been in doubt with that aircraft type is that it does have passenger appeal. And obviously, uh, you spoke to Tim Clark, who's always been, and I, I assume remains a fan of the, uh, of the A380. He is, yes. Um, you know, probably the only airline chief I can think of that will, you know, advocate for there needing to be a replacement for it. You know, it's not unreasonable what he says about looking at the big slot constrained hubs around the world that obviously a big part of Emirates network and thinking about what do you do in, in 10 years time when you start retiring significant numbers of A380s and you've got one slot going to Heathrow, for example, how do you, you know, you can't replace that capacity essentially. So if you throw a seven eight seven into there, you're or even an you know a three fifty, you're you're losing dozens, if not hundreds, of seats. Um, so you know to get that same capacity, you would have to operate more than one flight. So that he he's a, a fan of it for that reason. And um, you know Emirates are they don't have all of their A380s back in service yet, but they've certainly got a significant number. But as I say, I'm not. There aren't too many people making that that similar argument around the A380. And I think it is, as I said before, a bit too soon to say that these kind of more positive noises coming out of airlines suggest any kind of fundamental shift in in demand. I think as a reality check, we're really only looking about around 114, 115 in service. Today, I think Sirium data shows and that is around half, I think, what were in service at the end of 2019. If you look at other wide body types, yeah, they're, they're very far ahead of that trend. You know, we're talking in the 80s, 90s percent of them being back in action and having been for, for quite some time, often obviously used for freight and things. The, the A380 is, there's some positive noises around it, as you say, from certain carriers. Yeah, and on the other hand, we've, um, we spoke to the Malaysia Airlines chief executive and kind of confirmed that the, um, the airline's still looking to sell itself. I think it had six, um, six A380s and they're still looking to dispose of them. Thai um, and and others are very far from enthusiastic about bringing them back into service. So so yeah, it's some um, some positive noises there. And as I touched on before, that this is partly being driven by the um, the issues around um, uh, some of the wide bodies that airlines are looking to bring in in, in the coming years. Yes, I mean uh, obviously the wide bodies Boeing has its ongoing challenges with seven eight seven deliveries, which it's working on uh, resolving the certification challenges around that. Uh, obviously, it's new. New Triple Seven has been delayed by a couple of years. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, again, going back to Tim Clark, um, who's kind of central to the whole Triple Seven X project. You know, he um, was was at pains to point out that he doesn't he doesn't want to say they cancel the order because they do need those aircraft. But you know, the the ongoing delays are a, a massive concern for Emirates, and is part of the reason why they are investing in updating some of their older aircraft, including the the A three eighties, because they you know see them staying in the fleet for longer. And then when we look at Lufthansa, who we just mentioned, again they they, they are due to get seven eight sevens and triple seven Xs at some point in the coming years. Clearly, that's driving part of the reasoning for bringing those those A three eighties back next year you know other airlines like BA said throughout the pandemic that they saw a role for the A380 so kind of regardless of what what orders BA have outstanding or IAG have outstanding that's kind of um was central to their strategy so you know um, Emirates aren't alone in in kind of seeing that future for the A380 as long as the their current aircraft lasts but yeah certainly the case that um you know, if we get even more delays and there there is really a lack of clarity particularly on the the uh, 777X and 
to a lesser degree, but because there's more positive noises around the 787 deliveries restarting. But obviously, it's been well over a year when it will be by the time they they, they restart. So there's this huge backlog um, that Boeing has to get through to, to to get back where they should have been. Another a slightly unusual reason for having the A380s back is at Qatar Airways. Where Akbar al-Bakr has been um, highly critical of the A380, certainly from a sustainability point of view, and was kind of quite down on bringing many of them back during the pandemic. But because um, of all the grounded A350s at Qatar, as that legal case continues, um, we've seen you know Qatar Airways bringing back some of their examples. And it'll be interesting to sustainability uh, element to it and the desire to renew fleets. Uh, those have been and remain absolutely central. Uh, to airline plans and you know that will come under the microscope a bit in, in a couple of weeks time time when the industry gathers for the Barnbury Air Show the first time in that event's been held since um, before the pan- pandemic in 2018. It will be intriguing to see who's who's there ready to order aircraft I guess. Yeah there's definitely a sense that more and more airlines are you know able to look forward and, and consider orders and we've seen we've seen orders um you know in, in in recent months and and during the pandemic as well so certainly uh, certain airlines taking advantage of of the downturn maybe to to get to get a good price of aircraft and intriguingly one of the most interesting orders that um uh, is out there has actually come today before the uh, or today at time of recording um before the show happened with a, a big commitment from chinese carriers Yes, that's a bit. Yeah, you 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 kind of you would have thought that the airframers would be keen to like line up some big announcements for the show, particularly when I think it'll be four years since we were um since we were in Farnborough. Um, but yeah, we we we've the, the big three Chinese airlines, so Air China, China Eastern, and China Seven announced um you know orders um around a hundred A three twenty Neos each. So yeah, that that a bit out of the blue. I think what's um. From having just been in um, Doha at the AGM, the ISA AGM, you know, there was there's very much a narrative there that China is being a bit left behind and it's you know increasingly isolated in its approach. So kind of left there with a, a sense, you know, other airlines in the region are looking to other markets like India to to put their capacity into, and you kind of left with a sense that um, you know China wasn't the place to be for the the industry. But but clearly that huge domestic market there is is still maintaining. A, a huge airline industry and and nothing proves that more i guess than a big order for you know nearly 300 aircraft that are being delivered in the next yeah, few they're, years they're in relatively short or short order i mean the first mm-hmm. of those aircraft are due to join air china um next year and you know a, a large chunk in 2024 and 2025 so they are ready for <laughs> some level of you know and mm-hmm. i'm sure there'll be a degree of uh fleet renewal as well as uh as well as growth there but you know, it is a positive statement, and um, as you say, that just maybe shifts the narrative fractionally on um, on China. Yeah, and what um, you know, this is very fresh news while we're talking, and what what will be interested to see, as you say, beyond um, whether it, it it gives a sense that China, you know, is a it's kind of a sign China is on the way back, as it came, you know, not long after there was a a cutting of the the, the quarantine for international travellers, which still makes international travel very difficult but you know is a step in the right direction i think beyond that yeah what be interesting to see at farnborough is is how boeing responds to this it's clearly um the max aircraft that are with chinese carriers at the moment aren't flying yet a few of them have got max aircraft you know outstanding orders it, it feels at face value like a, a, a blow for boeing that you know these these big carriers are have gone with airbus here because they do all operate 
um, you know, Airbus and Boeing types, so they, they, they clearly would have been open to both. So interesting um, and, and, and lots more to play out there, I think, in terms of how Boeing responds. And I'm guessing that they'll be looking, you know, to have some some kind of real landmark orders at Farnborough in response. And we've seen, you know, so I remember the, the last Paris we were at, we had IAG place, um, you know, a, a big letter of intent for 70, 77 max jets that we, we just didn't see coming so yeah there's um it creates a really interesting narrative going into the event it's kind of if airbus wasn't already on the front foot it, it certainly will be now and um you know kind of the balls in boeing's court really to to show that it's um got something against that you can watch out space we'll watch out space we'll be at a, a farmer in a couple of weeks time but for now thank you lewis that uh, we'll keep that one on hold and, and pick that one up um in a couple of weeks time Cheers, Grant. Uh, so that's all for this time. Uh, you can find links to the stories we've referenced in the podcast notes, and you can keep up to date with all the latest news, including our coverage, extensive coverage we'll be having from the Farmer Air Show later this month at flightglobal.com. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you again next time.